Well, let me say this uh, right up front in my message, too, that I just want to warn you that this is not a safe place. Uh, if by safe you are under the understanding that you uh, will not be offended, that this is a place free from offense uh, and difficulty, this is not a safe place. Uh, and it cannot be that uh, because of what we talk about here. When we talk about a holy God and, and, uh, and sinful humanity, the very nature of that discussion presents the opportunity for folk to be offended. Uh, and so that's what we're exactly what we're going to talk about today, especially because we're in that section of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. And he got to this section that says, forgive us our debts. Why does someone need forgiven? Because they've what? They messed up. And so the very discussion that we're going to have about how badly we have messed up makes some people feel as though that it, I'm, you're being mean. Uh, and so if that is your understanding of a safe place where you're not going to be offended, I just want to let you know this is not a safe place. Uh, and so I just need to help you understand that. Um, it was interesting to me this morning when we were getting ready and setting up. Patient was in the parking lot setting up the tables and stuff. He was, I think he was the only one out there. And uh, one of the sheriffs who normally stops by and usually gets coffee from us every Sunday uh, pulled up and he didn't get out and get coffee. He stopped for a moment and said, hey, what are you doing to patient? And he says, you putting on a rally? Patient said, no, we're doing church. So you're doing church in the parking lot? He said, no, we're doing church inside. This is just where we do fellowship. He goes, oh, okay. And drove on. How do you handle it? What's your response when someone makes a mistake or offends you? What, what, what if they do it unintentionally? You don't even realize they did it. What if someone oversteps their bounds and offends you on purpose? Slash your tires? What about, what, how do you do it? How do you handle it when someone purposefully hurts you? Like on purpose, they know what they're doing, purposefully. You fight back. What about when someone both premeditates and plans your pain and plans to continue to keep hurting you and causing you pain? No responses? Okay. I see how this is going to go this morning already. All right, you're on edge a little bit. Um, well, let's just get back into what the Bible says. As, as the disciples of Jesus asked him to teach them how to pray, they were looking for something from him because they knew that, that his prayer life was profound and had an incredible impact uh, on what he did in the world. And so to their question, teach us how to pray, Jesus said, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is the section we're at today. And forgive us our debts. God, that's a tough part. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, let me ask this. How many of you grew up, and maybe you don't know the, the this this passage by heart, but you've grown up hearing it as forgives our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? That's one. 
How many of you have grown up hearing and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Why those two different things? Why those two different? I mean, they're very different words, aren't they? Like debt and trespass. You know what debt is, right? You got a credit card? You know what trespass is, right? You got a fence? And so they're not the same words. And so why, why does the Bible use different words? They mean very different things on one hand. So just to give you a little bit of insight, so I handle this appropriately, those of you who, and you might not have even realized this was the kind of the, the religious heritage that you were learning from, but those of you who learn from this heritage of Presbyterian or Reformed tradition, they use the word debts. Those who have grown up, and even not knowingly, but grown up in, a, in an Anglican, Episcopalian, a Methodist, a Catholic tradition, grow up with the word trespass. But they're very different. Where did it come from? Well, let me take you back in time to uh, 1494 to 1536. Those were the years that this man named William Tyndale was alive. Some of you may, if you've been around church a long time, way back in the old days, you had a Tyndale study Bible that's after this guy. And this man was the first to translate the Bible into English from Hebrew and Greek. And though the Greek text uses the word debt in this instance, he liked the word trespass. So in 1526, get this, when he was 32 years old, what were you all doing when you were 32? When, when this guy was 32 years old, he published the first English translation of the New Testament. It was against the law of Henry VIII under the penalty of death. And at 32 years old, he translated the Bible from Greek, from Hebrew and Greek, but the New Testament from Greek into English. He was, he was then on the run for 10 years for his life. You thought shelter in place was bad. He was turned in by a friend and subsequently killed for the crime of translating the Bible. And then by 1611, the translators of the King James New Testament or the King James Version went back to debts rather than trespasses. It's an amazing man. At 32 years old, translated the Bible into English, knowing under the penalty of death that that would, could be the consequence and spent ten, a decade of his life on the run from, the, from King Henry VIII. Uh, here's one thing I want us to understand. This is the heritage of the faith that you carry if you call yourself a Christian. It's men and women who so profoundly transformed by the mercy and grace and forgiveness of a holy God to forgive their sin that they would give their lives, their very lives in the service of this king, knowing, facing, that this is the, these are the shoulders on which, and it started from the beginnings of the kingdom with a man named Jesus. Don't fall under the false impression of comfort and security that the churches or the Christian is supposed to provide you with. So anyway, Jesus used the word trespass, though not when he taught his disciples to pray. But he did use the word trespass. After teaching them how to pray, he then very quickly taught them the importance of forgiveness. Why? Because praying and forgiveness go together. The power of prayer and the art for forgiveness go hand in hand. And so when he taught his disciples the importance of forgiveness, he chose a word different than debt 
to talk about the importance of forgiveness. And so a couple verses later in verses 14 and 15, he says, if you forgive men their what? Their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus used the word trespasses. It's interesting to me that Jesus chose the word debt and what we owe to God and chose the word trespass and what's done to each other. The reason is that Jesus was coming from the culture and, and the time when debt was deadly. See, we don't think that anymore. We'll gladly run up credit card debt and getting a debt to a mortgage, a debt to a car payment, and debt to a vacation. And back in these days, biblical times, if you were in debt and couldn't pay it, they'd throw you in debtor's prison. They wouldn't just garnish your wages. They'd throw you in jail until it was fully repaid. And so what Jesus was saying in using both debt and trespass was this, that there was a spiritual debt. He wants us to understand that there's a spiritual debt that we cannot pay, but there's also a crossing of boundaries we should not cross. He wants us to understand that one, there is a debt that is so profoundly deep and so profoundly large that there's no way we have the capability of paying God back for the debt we owe him. And there are trespasses that we do against each other and against God's laws that walk us into territory is not ours to, to, to venture into. So forgive us. Forgive us. The only reason we need forgiveness is because we've what? Now, this is going to get to be a real happy message eventually. But we have to deal with this issue. The only reason Jesus would say, then pray therefore this way, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is because there is a debt we owe, a sin we've committed, something we cannot. See, sin creates a spiritual debt against a perfect God and the only payment for a spiritual debt against a perfect God is a perfect life. So we have two, one of two choices. Either we try to pay that debt on our own with our own life or we accept the payment that has been made on our behalf by a perfect life understand so we need forgiveness because of the debt that we owe when the bible talks about sin that word sin in the bible is a greek word uh, called harmatia and it means literally to miss the mark it's an archery term like when you're shooting at a bullseye you miss the mark that's what it means. And that's why Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and missed the mark, fallen short of God's glorious ideal of a bullseye. Now, when the Bible, that, that's sin in general. But the Bible uses three specific words to talk about what sin is. And what I found helpful, and I want to share with you, and you see it all through Scripture, is the writers of Scripture choose these three words depending on what they're confessing to God and asking forgiveness for. See, we have the tendency to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Well, what are you sorry for? For my sin. Well, like, was it intentional or unintentional? Was it egregious, planned, premeditated? Was it a mistake? Was it a failure? Like, what are you really sorry for? And, and we've just kind of understood this word of sin to be like, that's oh, just whatever. But the Bible details three different words that it uses for sin. So as I share this with you, I want you to think for yourself, because I think about this for me all the time. Which in these ways am I most comfortable with 
Have I become blind to what I'm doing right now? What is it? So one of the words the Bible uses is trespass. We've talked about that a little bit. It means literally it's the intentional or, or unintentional crossing a line you shouldn't cross. It's even the unintentional crime. Have you ever been driving and your mind just kind of goes somewhere else and you just kind of drift over into the other lane? That's unintentional trespass. You've trespassed into a lane where, oh, that you shouldn't be, right? Unintentional, right? Have you ever, the, the trespass is also, you know when your neighbor's got a fence and you know you shouldn't cross it, but you think, hey, I want to go over there. <laughs> intentional trespass. Into an area you shouldn't be. Now, how many of your sins have been that? The Bible also talks about this word transgress or transgression and the need to be forgiven. The, to transgress or to live in transgr live tra tra transgression is to choose in, to intentionally disobey. A planned transgression without regard. Like I know it's wrong. I hope the consequences aren't too bad. However, I'm going. Transgression. Like when you know, you know what the rules are. You know it's six feet apart. I hope the consequences aren't too bad. But I'm going to plan on doing it. Transgression. And then there's iniquity. See, iniquity is that premeditative plan to live apart from God without concern for his authority, for his word, for his reaction, for consequence, for anything. It's this I know and I don't care. And when, when, when an individual lives in iniquity, time and time again, it leads to this unchecked and willful sin against God with no fear of him. I don't have to answer to him. It's no consequence to me. You believe what you want. I don't have to believe that. There's no fear of the authority of God. That's what it, when you live in iniquity long enough, that's where it gets you. When we live in transgression for an extended period of time, eventually, without repentance, we lose the ability to repent aside from God's correction. And when God chooses to correct, it's usually painful and at great loss to us. Let me say that again, because you understand. When we live in transgression, not the unintentional trespass, not, not I was in a place I shouldn't be, I'm back. But when we live in transgression, the willful disobedience of God's commands long enough we lose the ability to repent on of our own volition. We're given over into iniquity. As Romans 1 says, God gives you over to yourself. And without God's intervention, we cannot repent. And when God does intervene, it's usually very painful and at great loss. And that's why some of you are here today. Because it's gotten so bad or you're so fearful of it getting so bad. I'm going to get to the good news. Just hold on a minute. It's coming. Because there's some incredibly good news attached to this stuff. That we need forgiveness because there's a debt that we owe. We also need forgiveness because of the guilt that we bear. We need forgiveness because of the guilt that we bear. All of us have made a bad choice. 
Some of them are sitting right next to you. No, I'm just kidding. All of us have made a bad choice. And some have moved past their bad choice, but they haven't yet moved past the guilt of their bad choice. You understand? Some of you understand all too well. See, the presence of guilt is the affirmation, I've not lived my best self. It's the affirmation that I know I can do better because I feel like I am better than what my behavior has revealed. The presence of guilt means that there's a better me that wants to be known rather than the me that has become known. You understand this, right? That there's something in it that says, I might have done it, but I'm better than the it that I did. And the part of me that isn't it rebels against the it that me that did it. Have you ever done something? This is kind of a silly question because I don't already know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Have you ever done something that didn't reflect the you that you know yourself to be? What's the result of that? The result of that is now you have to live with the guilt and the shame of the worst part of yourself. Right? You know, the worst punishments are the whispers that happen behind the back of the one who did it. But worse still are the murmurings that happen within yourself. And you carry around this guilt. See, the power and the pain of guilt is not just what others say about you. But the power and the pain of guilt is what you say about yourself. And it's very hard to fight against that when you know that some of what is said is true. Man, we need forgiveness. Here's the truth truth about, about forgiveness. Man, it's fun. But you know what oftentimes feels more fun is sin. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing it right, <laughs> sin is fun. I, that's just what the Bible says. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. So if you're sinning and not having fun, you're not doing it right. Because it's fun. And let's not kid ourselves. I used to tell, when I was a youth pastor, I tell my kids when I was a youth pastor, I told my boys, look, if you're going to ditch, do something fun when you ditch school. Don't ditch school and be miserable. If you're going to ditch, go have fun. Knock yourself out. Enjoy the debauchery for a moment because it's going to end. This is what the Bible says. It's fun for a season. But when the season's over and the guilt hits, it's so profoundly more painful than the fun ever was. And that guilt shows up in behaviors. That guilt shows up in tempers. That guilt shows up in depression. That guilt shows up in medications. That guilt shows up in the appearance of vices that continue in a life. That guilt shows up and drives people to drink and drives people to needles and drives people to serial relationships and affections of other people. See, guilt is the child that's born of sin. And that only forgiveness can heal. I want to share with you the real life story of a man named David. 
But the Bible says it was a man who walked after God, had a, a heart after God, who, who passionately pursued God, was one of the most screwed up sinful men in Scripture. But it was the only man who had a heart after God. It's amazing. Psalm 32 is one of my favorite psalms, and it's, it was written after he was, he was, uh, his sin had come to light by some. Of adultery with a, a married woman and, and the murder of her husband to cover it up. And this is what David says, in the midst of his sin, both trespass, transgression, and into the vile life of iniquity. As a man of God, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Not his mistakes. Not, oh, sorry, didn't realize that I was sleeping with her. Transgression, planned descent, rejection of God. Blessed is him whose transgressions, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, when I didn't confess it to God, when I didn't seek his forgiveness for my iniquity, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. There was a physiological response to the guilt that he bore and his body was wasting away. Day and night, God, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. We know all too well what this is like. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity, the most vile parts of me. Not my mistakes, not my bads, not oh, I goof. My deep, vile, dark iniquity. And I said, I'll confess my transgressions, how I chose to walk away from God. And you forgave what? Do not say you forgave my sin because that's not what the Bible says. Though it does happen and it will be forgiven, but David wants to go beyond that. You will not just forgive my sin. Here it is. You'll forgive the guilt of my sin. Free. Liberation. So that what I see when I wake up in the morning is not the iniquity behind my eyeballs, nor what I see when I go to bed at night and close my eyes is not the transgression of my soul. Now I'm free. I love how David words it. When I kept something, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped like the heat of summer. We know all too well what this is. When he didn't seek God, when he didn't seek forgiveness, he was wasting away. I believe absolutely that part of the pain and tragedy of guilt resulting from sin is the physiological response we have in our bodies. That sometimes, not all the time, don't be silly, but there are occasions when we bear in our bodies sickness and disease because we carry guilt from sin that's not confessed and repented of before God. And he says, but when I repented, blessed, that word blessed is the same word in the New Testament in the book of Matthew. It's a Greek word called makarios. It means happy. He said, that may have been me when I kept silent about my sin, but happy is the one whose transgressions have been forgiven, whose sins are blessed. Happy is the one 
that the Lord doesn't count as sin. It means it's not just a transaction that God's got rid of them. It means God remembers them no more. And if God has wiped his memory of them, shouldn't you? No more guilt. That's what verse 5 says. I acknowledge my sins, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I'll confess them to you. And you forgave not just my sin, but you removed my guilt. Do you understand? Are you starting to see how profound and powerful and liberating and joyful forgiveness is? But we don't get to that part of forgiveness without first the acknowledgement of how decrepit we are. (laughs) Let me just take a little side note here. This is why. (laughs) Yeah, this is why parents should spank their children. I just, just hear me out. Hold on, hear me out. Not because you're mean, not because you're like that. This is why parents should spank their children with wisdom and discernment. I feel stupid that I have to say with wisdom and discernment. Otherwise, someone will say, you're just a... Here's the thing. A child disobeys, trespass, transgress, just iniquity. Whether they're caught or they confess, daddy or mommy steps in and disciplines biblically. They cry, parent holds, affirms, reassures of love and acceptance, child goes out and plays, never talk about it again, child is released from guilt. Do you understand? To do anything else, allows the opportunity for the door to be open. I got away with something and somewhere in me, I feel guilty about it. Now, you might say, you know what, Carl? You're old. And I would say, duh. (laughs) Yeah, I'm old. I've done this parenting thing a long time and my parents did it the way I did it. And I learned from them. And you might say, well, the new way is not to spank. And I would say, well, if it's new, it's not true. (laughs) And if it's true, it's not new. This whole repentance is important. David would say in Psalm 19 from the Amplified Translation, clear me from my hidden and my unconscious faults. Can you imagine? Keep back your servant. Keep me from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent and clear of great transgression. What he's saying is that there are faults within us that we're not even aware of. He's saying, God, guard me and protect me. He actually says, says, forgive me and equip me of my unconscious and unintended faults and keep me from willful and presumptuous sins. That's what he's saying. Did you know that there are things within us that we're not even aware of? Have you ever been in that moment where you're like, where did that come from? Like, that's not who I am. 
It's the unconscious and unintended faults that lurk inside that give them the opportunity to pop up. And David is saying, pray in advance that God keeps you from the unintentional and, 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 and unseen faults that live inside. And also from the willful and presumptuous sins. See, the unaware of sins that are inside, that's the unintentional trespasses. I'm sorry I veered into that lane. My bad. I'm I didn't even realize it. I'm sorry. Unintentional faults. And willful sins, the intentional process and progress and transgress into areas we shouldn't be. Keep me from that, God. Because when you keep me from it, I'll be cleared, blameless and innocent of great transgression. I'll never get to transgression if you keep me from it. You understand? This should be part of our prayer life. I love how David deals with sin in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. My inmost being, praise his holy name. How did, when Jesus taught his people to pray, how did, what did he start with? In the Lord's Prayer, how does it start? There we go, okay. Yeah, you're saying everything but it. Our Father, we're trying to hallowed be your name. David starts the same way. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's in my inmost being. Praise his holy. It starts with how holy he is. Because if we never get to how holy he is, we never realize who we are. And so he says, God, I'm going to acknowledge who you are. Because when I acknowledge who you are, then I realize who I am. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all his benefits. What are his benefits? Well, one, right off the bat, he forgives all our sins. And he has all our diseases. What are his benefits? He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us, not with judgment and anger and condemnation, but with love and compassion. He satisfies us with good things. Every good and precious gift comes from the Lord, from the Father of lights down to his kids. So that your youth is renewed like the ego, like you're strong again, you're joyful again, you're vibrant again. Because you don't live with this burden and this heavy baggage of guilt anymore. Hallowed be your name. I mean, do you realize how amazing, what the amazing results are of forgiveness? This is complete liberation. This is complete freedom. It is amazing. He goes on. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to become angry and abounding in love. But what about those times when someone premeditatively plans our harm and plans to continue doing harm against us. Just like we do to God. We are quick to get angry. He is slow to get angry. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Can you imagine if he did? He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. The most vile parts of us, the deepest, darkest, nastiest. He doesn't respond to us in kind. Why would we hold off in coming to him in repentance? For as high as the east or for the, the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now, this is a profound statement. You want to know why the writer said as far as the east is from the west and didn't say as far as the north is from the south? Because if you start in the north and you go south, pretty soon you'll start going north. And you'll meet up again with your transgressions. 
If you go east, you can just keep walking east. And even though you come back around to it, you'll keep walking east because east is east. Forever removed. Forever. It's amazing what God's forgiveness is. Now, I know some of you are going to get stuck on that whole east-west thing for the rest of my message. You're not going to pay for it. So forget about that. You can deal with that later, but stay with me. I'm saying that it is forever gone. Don't start your all math stuff. You know, like that's voodoo stuff. But here, here, here's what I love. So David in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. This is after he's confronted by the prophet Nathan, Nathan about his adultery and about a murder. His response finally is, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. I've memorized this whole chapter. I love this chapter. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. It's a beautiful repentant. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. According to your unfailing love, blot out my transgression. Forgive me, not according to your, my merit, but according to your unfailing love. The Bible says in Jeremiah that he's loved us with an everlasting love, that nothing will ever separate us from us. According to that love, God, you need, I'm asking you to forgive me. Blot out my transgressions. Wipe them away, get them away from me. Even though I've intentionally chosen to disobey you, I'm asking you by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross to wipe that away from me. He says, wash away my thoroughly, cleanse me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and my sin. If you remember, David didn't choose to repent on his own. David repented because he got caught. I wonder, had he moved, from transgression, had he repented before he moved from transgression into iniquity, if the consequences would not have been so severe. Do you understand what I'm saying? But he lived in transgression so long, he couldn't identify when he was living in iniquity. But even with that, his prayer is, wash me totally, free from guilt. He says, I chose my sin. And when I close my eyes, my sins are always before me. I have acknowledged my sin towards you. And it's always before me. He says, I need forgiveness. And some of you this morning are in this place right now. And I know you love the Lord. And I know you're trying, but you're living in a place of transgression and iniquity. And it's eating you up and it's tearing you up. And something inside you says, I know that I'm better than, but I can't get... You need forgiveness. He says in verse 9, I admit my sins. Please, God, don't look at them anymore. Don't be reminded of them and don't remind me of them. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. In this psalm, David moves between transgression, iniquity, and sin, back and forth, back and forth, because he's trying to convey how deep it is. He said, I've lived in iniquity so long with vile disregard towards you, God, and towards your commands and your authority. I didn't fear you nor your commands. And look at what happened. God, I'm asking you to blot that out now. 
and consider how incredible the mercy of God is to upon confession of sin, boom, clean. Did you know, get this, man, get this. Mm, this good stuff. If you have a relationship with Jesus through faith, God sees you as righteous as he sees his own son. The righteousness of God. That amazes me. At least do me a favor and look amazed. I'm pretending the people in, in virtual land are like, wow. And that's why, that's why, why David prays in Psalm 10 and 11 and 12. Love this passage. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, upholding by a generous spirit. When he says those words, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, that word create means literally, boom, right now, creation. When God spoke the world into existence, called the light into being, spoke creation with his word, that's the same word of creation. God immediately, right now, speak a new heart into me. Speak a new will into me. Right, don't make me wait. I can't work my way into it, God. If it's going to come, it's got to come from your hands. So create in me right now a new heart. And that's the promise that he will. Don't cast me aside. God, please, everybody else has. Don't you do it too. Don't cast me aside from your presence. God, don't take your spirit from me. Even in the midst of my vile iniquity, keep your spirit in me and keep your spirit on me. Can you imagine the mercy and the grace and the compassion and the love of this God? And restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. You know what the, the you know what the result of forgiveness is? It's joy. It's joy. If, 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 if life has been so, you know the reason why there's so little joy is because there's so little repentance. There's so little the experience of forgiveness. And the reason why there's so little experience of forgiveness is because there's so little acknowledgement of guilt. I know what time it is, but I got it. Can I finish this? Oh, I got like a page and a half. Is that all right? Let me just finish this. So Jesus goes on in his prayer, forgive us our debts. What's he say then? As we have, for, have, we, as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, now, you, you match this up with another passage in, in the book of Mark, and that says this. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone. So is anybody off the hook here? <laughs> forgive him so that your Father in heaven will forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your uh, Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Did you know that there's no unforgiving people in the kingdom of heaven? Did you know that? 
There's no unforgiving people in the kingdom of God. And we will never understand the power of forgiving others until we first understand how much we've been forgiven of. And once you experience the profound liberation and joy of the forgiveness of God, then out of the outflow of that. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that forgiving of others is the access by which we gain forgiveness from God. That's works and that is not, that's not biblical. But I'm saying forgiveness does flow from a heart that is joyful and grateful of the forgiveness for which they have received because of their vile transgression and iniquity. See, a person who has been forgiven by God can never be the same. Ever. If you've really experienced the forgiveness of Almighty God over your vile nature of transgression and iniquity, you can never be, you can't recover from that. It ruins you in the most beautiful way possible. It's just disturbing that those who have been forgiven find it so difficult to then forgive. Now, let me make this note because I know where some of your heads are going. Forgiveness is not restoration. Please let me say that and please hear me. Forgiveness is not restoration. See, forgiveness has to do with your release. Restoration has to do with the renewal of a relationship. We always forgive, but restoration relationship is not always possible nor wise. And that's why Jesus said, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. He didn't say if you restore the relationship, your relationship will be restored. That's not what he said. And the beautiful thing about God, he's done both to us and for us. He's forgiven, which released us from his active wrath. And he's restored the relationship through Jesus on the cross. And the result of that forgiveness is joy and how much we've been forgiven. And joy that I release on my own life when I release them from the debt that I think they owe me. Do you understand? Now, let me tie this all together. Come up here, band. Let me tie this all together. There is no doubt that America needs to be revived. There's no doubt that America needs revival. You'd be a fool to say anything different. And when you look at what's happened to a young man jogging through a neighborhood in Georgia, when you look at what's happened to a man watching birds in Central Park, when you look at what's happened and the most vile form of iniquity perpetrated against a man in Minneapolis, Minnesota. There is no doubt that America needs revival. There is no doubt about the injustice. It's not even about a man having a bad heart. It is about sheer, unadulterated evil. But I suggest that the reason America does not have revival is because there are individuals who have not repented. Please understand, revival is always the result of personal repentance. Always. 
And to say America needs revival is to then also admit that I must repent. Me, not them, me, not that, me, not us, me. Do you understand? And this is especially true, just not at a governmental level, just not at a societal level, just not at a cultural level, just not at a racial level, just not at an ethical level. This is true at a personal level. If my life is to be renewed, it must begin with my repentance. If my marriage is to be revived, it must begin with my repentance. If my relationships are to be made new, it must begin with my repentance. Father, forgive me for the debt that I owe that I cannot pay. Father, forgive me for the trespasses, the lines that I've crossed that I thought I would never cross. Some of them I stumbled into and didn't realize where I was. Others of them I planned. Father, forgive me for my transgression because I've known what your word says. And I've known your standard. And I willfully chose to go against you after you died on the Forgive me. Father, I've lived without repentance for so long. I have seeped into the world of iniquity, unaware of how vile I am. How dare I stand here and say I need not repent? Father, I'm sorry. Renewal of life is always the result of the repentance of sin. When you see God's heart towards the most vile, who responds to guilt with love and compassion and mercy and grace and patience and long-suffering and loving-kindness. Why would you not repent? He stands not ready to condemn, but to set free. Why would you not? Why would anyone continue to carry guilt and shame of the worst parts of themselves? You want joy? You want freedom? Repent. It's liberation. See, Second Chronicles 7 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if they'll repent, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and do what? Heal their land. You want the land of your heart to be healed. You want the land of our land to be healed. Turn and repent. See, it's not about what we did that keeps us in trouble. It's about the arrogance of a heart that refuses to repent that keeps us in trouble. Friends, do you realize what's waiting for you? (laughs) Do you realize the new life? So the word is to come. The word is to come now and cry out to this God that is so over his head in love with you. Father, forgive me and help me to forgive. Would you pray with me? A real simple prayer that David prayed. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Just say that in your heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Father, according according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. I confess my sin to you. I acknowledge my transgressions before you. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Restore to me the joy of your salvation.